I'll invite you now to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide where our scripture uh, is found that the sermon is based on. We're in Luke chapter 5 this week. Just a recap of the gospel according to Luke. This is a carefully researched first century document recording the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It's based on eyewitness testimony. It's based on other written documents that were written during this time to to tell people about the life and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It was written sometime around 63 AD by this character named Luke, who called it a gospel, which is a word for good news. And he writes this good news so that both his ancient readers and his modern readers may have certainty concerning the things that they've been taught about Jesus. That's his purpose statement that he writes in Luke chapter 1. Again, that word gospel means good news. And and this is the good news of the kingdom that Jesus preaches. This is the good news that Luke preaches throughout his writing. It's that to undo sin and all of the deadly consequences that sin has brought into our world, God himself in his kindness entered into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus' life, through his death, through his resurrection, sin and death are being overcome. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus has begun his public ministry primarily a teaching ministry. And we're in the early days at this point. Jesus isn't well-known in regions beyond kind of his hometown and, and northern Israel. He has a few followers, but really not many. Very few people know him, but his reputation is slowly building. If you turn your attention now to the back middle portion, I'll read our scripture this afternoon. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the words of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us one more time. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word that is being spoken to us. We know this is more than uh, an interesting first century document, but it is empowered by your spirit so that we can hear the very words of God. Would you open our ears and open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word? Amen. In this story, in Luke chapter 5, we find some really interesting parallel layers uh, of meaning that are happening all at once. We find crowds of people and we find crowds of fish. There are words going out to draw people in, and there are nets going down to draw fish in. 
There are fishermen fishing for fish, and there is a preacher fishing for men. The work of Jesus and the work of these fishermen uh, throughout the text, they're going to uh, contrast and parallel with one another. And it's here on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, which is also known in the Gospels as the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, where we see Jesus Christ, the master fisherman, uh, encountering a crowd, encountering three fishermen in particular, and we see him ply his trade. We see Jesus, the master fisherman, casting out his net. And this is our outline for this afternoon. Jesus, Jesus fishes for disciples. He catches some who then catch disciples too. Jesus fishes for disciples. He catches some who then catch disciples too. So first, Jesus fishes for disciples. What's happening in chapter five here? Jesus has gone fishing. He's preaching the word of God and he's trying to win people to himself, win people to the kingdom of God. He's seeking in this large crowd people who will hear his word, will believe his word, will follow him, will live a life of worship and service to him. And that's what this word discipleship means. It means somebody who will follow in the way of Jesus. Um, uh, The boats, the lake, the crowd, the nets, they all kind of together give this image. Uh, This is a fishing event. Jesus is out fishing and he's out fishing for disciples. I don't know a lot about fishing. Um, But I know that there's at least two important things when you go fishing. You need a location and you need proper tools, all right? I went camping with Calvin and Knox this summer, and uh, we we went fishing together for the first time in an area that I was very familiar with. So I asked somebody who was local, where should we go? Where do the fish bite? What's a good place? And so they, you know, they, they pointed us to a couple places. You can go off the causeway. There was a couple good lakes nearby, And so Calvin and Knox and I, we chose a location and we went with our tools. We had a fishing rod and a bob and a hook and a line and a sinker and some worms. Uh, And even as rookies, I mean, not knowledgeable at all about the ways of fishing, uh, we knew that we needed, again, a location where fish were and we needed proper tools to draw the fish out. Uh, If we had brought our rods and our gear to the Zatzman Sportsplex, it would be very silly. It's, It's a good location in terms of water, but there's no fish there. If we went to the waterfront, and we went with a hammer, say, that's a very good location. There's lots of fish, but that is a very poor tool for bringing fish in. And when we look at what hap- what's happening with Jesus, we see a location and we see a tool that he uses to fish for disciples. First, location. He is where people are. This is, this is Jesus' ministry. He is, he is always out where people are. Uh, Jesus so far in, in Luke has been mainly in synagogues. These are formal gathering places for people. Um, this is like a stocked pond where, where people are intentionally placed. Um, but, and that's good. But of course, there's lots of other places where people gather. And this time, Jesus's location is in the open air. He's on the shoreline of, of uh, the Sea of Galilee, of the Lake of Gennesaret. And people are just doing their thing there, we, you know, working and swimming. And I don't know if they tanned at that time. Uh, and there's Jesus among the people. He chooses a location where there's people. Second, look at the tools that Jesus is using as he fishes for disciples. He uses preaching and teaching to catch people. At the end of chapter four, uh, we witness Jesus doing some of his first miracles in Luke's gospel. He brings healing and wholeness to people. He does amazing works and it it was beautiful and and glorious to see Jesus do that. But this isn't actually the, the tool that Jesus uses when he goes fishing. Instead, he preaches. Jesus uses words. Uh, Jesus already said this at the end of chapter four. He said, 
I must preach the good news of the kingdom, for I was sent for this purpose. Preaching and teaching again, I'll keep on pushing the point, it was the bread and butter of Jesus' earthly ministry. That is what he primarily came to do. And for people to be caught by Jesus, the people must first hear what Jesus preaches. So in verse 3, if you look at it there, the crowd is pressing on Jesus, and, and evidently they're having a hard time hearing what he's saying because of the closeness, the proximity. And so Jesus just helps himself into Simon's boat. It doesn't seem like he's invited. <laughs> he you know, gets pushed back a little bit, and there's apparently geographically there's some sort of natural amphitheater effect where his voice would carry and disperse among the crowd from that location. It seems that just seeing Jesus or being near Jesus or perhaps touching Jesus, pressing in on Jesus, was not a sufficient tool for being caught by Jesus. So just observing Jesus, seeing his acts, watching him heal others, maybe even being healed yourself, uh, observing Jesus' disposition, the way he cared for the poor and the marginalized, that actually isn't enough to be captured by him. People must actually hear the words of Jesus, uh, who he is and what he has done and what that means for us. So Jesus is this ultimate fisherman in this story. He's got the right location. He's using the right tool. Uh, but there's more. Jesus fishes for disciples. He catches some. He fishes for disciples, but he catches, you could say, only some. Jesus has a massive crowd around him in chapter 5, and, and they are hearing his preaching. They're gathering to hear the word of God. Uh, Jesus is building somewhat of a reputation for being a powerful and authoritative preacher. He's not like your typical scribe and Pharisee, kind of uh, the professional, but he's preaching with, with a certain type of persuasion and, and spiritness that other people haven't experienced before. It astonishes them. But despite all that, it doesn't seem like he's caught anyone so far. He's generated crowds, but nobody seems to stay. Nobody lingers. Uh, nobody commits themselves to Jesus. There are no disciples made that day, so it seems. And so fishing for disciples is distinct from catching disciples, just as fishing for fish is different from catching fish. Jesus had a good location. He used the right tools, but it looks like in verse 3 or thereabouts, he hasn't caught anything. Again, Calvin and Knox and I, we picked out a very good location, I think. We had the proper tools for fishing, but we caught nothing. Uh, we had some good chats. Calvin fell in the water at one point. So it was, a, it was a memorable fishing trip. It was very good. But there is a difference between uh, fishing for fish and catching fish. If you look at verse 4, after Jesus speaks to the crowd, he then turns his attention to Simon. Uh, of whose boat he is now occupying. And he asks Simon, this, this rugged fisherman, to go fishing with him. Simon answers in, in, in verse 5, this actually doesn't make a lot of sense given the time. The kind of fishing that Simon does, which is uh, going out into the lake, letting down big nets into the water, this is best undertaken in the evening or late at night. And you see that in some of Simon's response to Jesus. In the daytime, uh, the fish would, would dive deep. They'd be in the cool of the water where the nets couldn't reach. But at the nighttime or in the evening, they would come closer to the surface and they'd be more readily caught. Now, remember, Simon in chapter 4 has actually already seen Jesus at work. He's already had interactions with Jesus. In chapter 4, Jesus healed Simon's sick mother-in-law. But clearly, uh, Simon's not caught at this point. He has his doubts. He's saying, Jesus, you're skilled at preaching, no question, and healing, and probably even carpentry. But when it comes to fishing, you're a novice. 
you're, you're, you're not skilled at fishing. You're out of your depth here. Why don't you just leave it to me? Simon, at this point, is kind of like the crowd. He's interested. He's intrigued by Jesus. But he's not yet a, a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Fortunately, Jesus is not fishing for fish. That's not his goal with Simon. He's fishing for Simon. He wants to catch Simon. And to Simon's credit, uh, against his, all of his better instincts, out under the blazing sun doing what no wise fisherman would do at that time of day, he goes out into the deep and he lets down his net. And of course, the rest is history. Look at verse 6. There's such a catch that the nets start breaking. In verse 7, Simon Peter has to signal to James and John, his partners, to come and help. And even with their help, their boats are being so filled with fish that they begin to sink. This is a miracle that's happening. This isn't a lucky catch. This is not a a possible but improbable catch. This isn't something that they wanted to take a picture of or, uh, you know, tell their grandchildren about the time, oh, we were out fishing and you wouldn't believe, you know, the, the amount of fish we got. This is an otherworldly, utterly impossible and unnerving catch for these fishermen. It shakes Simon and James and John to their core. Look at the reaction of Simon in verse eight. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus has been fishing for Simon, but now he has caught Simon. Simon, for the first time, recognizes who it is that's in the boat with him. Something, something changes. The, the penny drops. Something clicks. Jesus isn't simply this wandering preacher from Nazareth. He's not simply a, a good person, somebody that you want to be close to, not even a, a, a significant healer. He is the Son of God. He is God Almighty, entered into our world. He is the Holy One, the creator of Simon Peter. And Simon's reaction, knowing who Jesus is, is is actually a very typical reaction that we find throughout the scriptures when somebody encounters God in this way. They are immediately aware of their shortcomings, of their sin, of how they have treated God with contempt. In uh, Genesis chapter 3, we see this type of reaction from Adam and Eve when they encounter God. They hide from him. In Exodus 20, the people of Israel, they, they begged God, would you please stop speaking? We, we can't take it. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of God in God's holiness. And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I am lost. This is actually some of the drama that we enact here uh, in our worship service. After we hear God's voice speaking, welcoming his people to himself, we move on to a time of repentance and confession, saying with Peter, Oh Lord, you are holy and we are not. We are sinful people. This is what happens when sinful and broken people meet God. It's not only awe, it's not only wonder, we're not only amazed by God's power and might, but we feel shame. We feel fear. All of our words, our thoughts, our deeds are exposed in his bright light for exactly what they are. And and we want to hide. We want either God to go away or we want to escape his presence. John Calvin was a a theologian during the Reformation. He wrote a really influential book to this day. It's called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. 
It's a big old thick book. He's got a big old brain. Um, but he begins it with this statement. He just opens his book by saying, our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely in two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. True wisdom is knowledge of who God is and true knowledge of who we are. True wisdom, again, is knowing God as he is, as he reveals himself to be, and who we are in light of who he is. This is the condition of somebody who has finally been caught by Jesus. They have a true knowledge of Jesus. Uh, In the boat with Simon is God himself, the person of Jesus Christ. And the only reaction, the only fitting reaction to that is, I am a sinful man and I cannot stand before a holy God. This is in contrast to other visions of who we are. Uh, True knowledge of yourself isn't somebody who says, I am simply the product of time and chance and energy. That I am fundamentally the captain of my own ship, of my own soul. That I am the king or queen of my reality. That I am the person who determines what is right or wrong. Uh, I am rather a creature. And the one sitting with me in the boat is my creator. This is what happens when our eyes are open to who God is. We say he is the king and he alone has the right to rule and lead me. He is the savior. And that means I am the sinner that needs to be saved and set free. Has that happened to you yet? Do you know who it is that sits in the boat with you? Or are you still like the crowds? Intrigued, interested, captivated in some way, but the true knowledge of who Jesus is And then in light of that, who you are is still eluding you. If you hear me speaking right now, Jesus is fishing for you. He is seeking to catch you. Open your eyes. Know who Jesus is. Know who you are in light of that. So Jesus fishes for disciples. He catches some, last part, who then catch disciples too. Jesus fishes for disciples. He catches some who then catch disciples too. Look at verses 9 through 10 with me. They show that it's not just Simon who's been caught. It's also his fishing partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They will be a part of the 12 disciples that Jesus will eventually form. Um, They're the early adopters. And their eyes have been opened to who Jesus is and who they truly are. And now what? What happens now that they recognize these things? Jesus does two things. He both comforts them and he commissions them. Uh, Look at the end of verse 10 there. Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus comforts them. This is the first move. They are indeed great sinners. He doesn't deny that. But the good news is that Jesus is a great savior. Their sin doesn't frighten Jesus, but their sin should be frightened of Jesus. Jesus is a savior, and that means he has come to deal with sin, to put it away, to make rebels sons and daughters of God. And this is a great comfort when you have a true knowledge of who Jesus is and a true knowledge of your sin. John 3, 16 and 17, very very famous, very well-known verses. I'll just read it to you in whole. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is why Jesus has come. He has come to rescue, not condemn people. And this is great comfort. But of course, in verse 10, there's more than comfort. There's also commission. Jesus says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. 
In Greek, that word is anthropos. It, uh, it means both men and women. You'll be catching people. Uh, they are caught for a purpose, not simply comfort, but also commission to go out into fish with Jesus. This is the purpose of being caught by Jesus. You are given a mission from Jesus. Look at verse 11, the immediacy of this. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Jesus now has what looks like his first disciples, people who have left their old lives behind and now are joining the master fisherman Jesus in his work. Note the order, because this is crucial to understand. Followers of Jesus don't fish for disciples in order for Jesus to catch us. Rather, we fish for disciples because Jesus has caught us. Do you catch the difference between those two ideas? In the first part, we are going out to share the gospel with others in order to win God's favor so that he might be a rescuer to us because we've done enough good things. In the other, catching fish, uh, catching disciples because Jesus has caught us, it's an act of thanks and obedience and love for the one who has rescued us. How is it that Simon, James, and John could leave this once-in-a-lifetime catch in their boats, you know, leave the family fishing business, and leave everything to follow Jesus on the mission to fish for disciples? It's because they were caught. They had been captured by Jesus. Jesus was for them in that moment and for the rest of their lives, a treasure worth leaving everything for, uh, a treasure beyond wealth and success, beyond reputation and, and good standing among their peers. They didn't go out to live a life of catching disciples beside Jesus out of fear for what Jesus might do to them if they didn't, if, but rather it was uh, out of a deep love for what Jesus had done for them, that he had caught them, that they now belong to him. Friends, this mission of following Jesus and fishing for disciples is the work of God's people to this day. And the question for us as Christ Church, as a, as, a, as a new church in the city, is will we see this work as our work? Do we view the work of the church as this work of going out and seeking disciples? Worship at Christ Church is not just a time for your comfort in Christ, though I hope you do receive comfort in Christ. It's also a time of commission from Christ. We want to form worshipers who will see Jesus for who he really is. I hope you hear him as a savior and as a rescuer for all people. Um, I want you to be captured and to be captivated by Jesus. But crucially, I then want you to follow him in making disciples with him. So whether you're at work or you're at home, uh, whether you're a student or you're a teacher, you are called to follow Jesus and to catch disciples with him wherever you go. So if you're at home, you find yourself surrounded by little ones or friends or family or just your spouse, you're being sent to your home to make disciples. You don't just go home. You're being sent home. If you're going to work, you're not just going to work. You're being sent to work to make disciples of Jesus. Christchurch, this is what God has called us to. Those Jesus catches, catch disciples too. And, and as, a, as a reality check, really, not, not as an attempt to knock or to shame us, if you find you have no interest whatever in joining Jesus in fishing for disciples, are you sure you've been caught? If you're not following Jesus in the work that he is doing, are you sure you are following him at all? If that's you, 
and you're not sure about that, listen, he's fishing for you. He wants to catch you. He delights to bring people to him. And when he does, when he does catch you by his spirit, you will follow him as he goes out to catch disciples too. Jesus is the master fisherman, and he still is seeking disciples to this day. Let's end here. Making disciples and doing evangelism is the work of the church. And often I think it feels like difficult, uncomfortable, culturally challenging work. We see characters in the Bible, uh, characters like Paul, who we, we would just imagine as being fantastic evangelists and disciple makers, um, routinely asking people to please pray for them. Paul will ask, will you please pray for boldness and courage and opportunity in God's spirit? Uh, because just like us, Paul needed boldness and courage and opportunity. And we often pray this way in our church. We often pray this way in our home groups that God would help us by his spirit to do this work. And this is part of the good news is that uh, when we are rescued and caught by Jesus, we're not rescued and caught by ourselves. We are brought into the church. I was sharing, sharing before the service that um, a lot of the, the, the people during the Reformation they were very hesitant about allegorizing the Bible too much, but they couldn't help themselves when they came to Luke chapter five and they couldn't help but seeing symbolism in it and seeing the, the water as the world and the net as the gospel and the boat as the church, which, which people drawn out of the world are brought into to be together. And so together as a church, we are learning together, we are praying together, we are worshiping together and we are helping each other and spurring one another on in this mission. We're doing it together. I do want you individually to be able to, to clearly and faithfully share your faith, the reason why you have hope with your friends and neighbors. But of course, there is much more to it than you doing it on your own. We get to do this work together. Uh, we have an Easter service coming up. I invite you to invite people to the Easter service. Uh, we're going to be doing a six-week study through the Gospel of Mark after Easter. I invite, invite you to invite people and come with them to that study. Um, we've got second Saturday events. Uh, a lot of us host kind of like impromptu game nights or dinner nights or something, just where we, we can hang out together. And so this is the work of the church. This is what we are called to do. And thankfully, we're called to do it together. But, in, but this is our hope, is that in all of our efforts, in all of our prayers, in all of our failures, the miracle of actually catching disciples, of seeing new people coming into the kingdom of God, and following Jesus. This is ultimately Jesus's miracle, not ours. Simon Peter, you don't get the sense from the text that he is an incredibly clever man. <laughs> he is, unlike all the other fishermen, really smart, and he knows where to go and what time of day to go. Really, all that Simon Peter did was he listened to Jesus, let down his nets where Jesus told him to, and Jesus is the one who brought in the fish. And in the same way, our task as a church, as Christ Church Halifax, is simply to be faithful, to go where people are, to, to preach the gospel, and to trust that Jesus Christ himself, the master fisherman, will catch disciples for himself. Now, may you learn from Jesus, who is the master fisherman. May you be caught by him, captured and captivated by his work and his person. May you truly know who he is, and so, for the first time, truly know who you are yourself. May you follow Jesus in catching disciples and may God's spirit fill you with boldness and with courage. May he help our church be faithful and trust Christ to catch people. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, for those of us who have had the joy of knowing you, we thank you for capturing us, for catching us. Father, we, we ask that you would use us as a church and as individuals to join you in this work. It is your delight to welcome people, people who are very far off, people who even at this point have no interest in you or the kingdom. You are constantly going to where they are and fishing for them, reaching out to them. Father, we pray for um, generations and generations more of, of faithful believers in our city, that you would bring in thousands more, God, through the work of this church, through the work of other churches. Uh, Father, bless us now uh, as, we, as we go to your table. We ask that you would fill us with the kind of faith that's required for the work that you've called us to. In Christ's name, amen.